Hey listeners, Jonathan here. I'm dropping in on the back catalog of episodes to let you know about a very special workshop that I'm putting together in April for fans of Mindful Money. In this workshop, I'm going to be covering the path to financial independence, or what we used to call retirement. I want to show you how to create an income stream that rises to meet your rising cost of living and lasts the rest of your life. I want to show you how to build a simple, resilient portfolio that requires the least worry and effort. This is how I manage my own money. And I want to show you how to manage and adjust income through a life of rising costs and volatile market. And as per usual, we're going to bring uh, the focus back around to those things we know add to happiness and support well-being when you do finally reach financial independence. You can register at the link below, courses.mindful.money forward slash mindful dash retirement dash review dash workshop. Thanks. I hope to see you in class. I always followed my heart. And what that does is it provides me the guidance on what is my next best step and what am I meant to be doing and how can I show up in the world in the best possible way and do something that I love and have a positive impact on the world at the same time. Do you think money takes up more life space than it should? On this show, we discuss with and share stories from artists, authors, entrepreneurs, and advisors about how they mindfully minimize the time and energy spent thinking about money. Join your host, Jonathan Dio, and learn how to put money in its place and get more out of life. Welcome back to the Mindful Money Podcast. My guest today is Robin Treasure. Robin is a sales coach and the best-selling author of Heart Powered Sales, Grow your sales exponentially with emotional intelligence and intuition. Her sales experience is mostly in the area of functional medicine. In her last direct sales position, she grew her territory's revenues 10x using the heart-powered sales method that she teaches. Robin, thanks for coming on the Mindful Money Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. So I just want to start with some letting people get to know who you are a little bit. So where's home and where are you connecting from? Yeah, so I live here in Berkeley, California, and that's where I'm connecting from. Good, good, good. And where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Mexico. So I was born and raised in New Mexico in a very rural area up in the mountains, surrounded by pine trees and not much else. (laughs) What was it like there? I mean, sounds pretty remote. Yeah, it was really remote. And, you know, my parents kind of homesteaded. My parents moved out to New Mexico from upstate New York, where they were raised. And, you know, they kind of fulfilled their life dream of building a cabin. And so they literally built a log cabin on a mountain. And that's where I was raised. And so for me, you know, you ask, what was it like? It was beautiful. It was natural. There was a lot of love, a lot of, you know, simple living, let's put it that way. And it was wonderful. And I yearned for more. (laughs) So once I was in high school, I just, I was really yearning for more. And so after I, once I graduated high school, I wanted to go to a liberal arts college on the East Coast. And I had no idea what that really meant or (laughs) anything, you know, culturally, but that's what I did. And, and so I ended up going to college and grad school in Boston. So cool. What is, uh, I'm imagining that you had a different experience with money as a child than than many people. So I'm just curious what your sort of your first, your earliest money memory might be. 
Yeah, this is this is great. This is a great topic because for me growing up, you know, my parents were hippies. My my parents are quintessential hippies, okay? Coming from the from the East Coast, they went to Woodstock. They went to Woodstock shortly after they met. And so it was they really are iconic. They are iconic of that generation and that generation kind of consciously rejected wealth and affluence, um, at least at that time. I think a lot of boomers went on to realize that money isn't necessarily bad and it just depends on how you use it and what you do with it. But for my parents, you know, their their goal was not to make money or be wealthy. They wanted to be wealthy in other ways. And they did achieve that by living the life that they desired and living out their dream of building a log cabin on a mountaintop. And so they achieved their wealth in quotation marks, they achieved their wealth in that way of creating a lifestyle and a life that they wanted. So it didn't involve a lot of money. They didn't, neither of them made very much money in their jobs. And so for me growing up, I was accustomed to doing with very little and And, you know, we had everything that we needed in terms of shelter and food and, you know, all the basic necessities, but any kind of luxuries or lavish kind of lifestyle was completely foreign to me growing up. Well, I mean, it's what a great lesson in what's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you are raised with very little, you know what you can exist on if you have to. Exactly. Um, did that also come with a message about about wealth or about wealthy people? Yeah, I mean, you know, they they certainly did not villainize wealthy people. It, it's not at all that there was that kind of a message of like, you know, wealthy people are bad, but it was just kind of like wealthy, you know, wealth and any kind of career that involved earning a lot of money was just kind of foreign. It just wasn't on the radar for them. And so that's how I was raised is that that just wasn't on my radar. You know, the idea of becoming a salesperson, which I, you know, flash forward several decades, that's what I became. That was never on my radar, you know, doing anything that, you know, where you could actually make a lot of money. It just wasn't on my radar at all growing up. And so that was kind of the the message that I got was that it's just not in the cards for us. That yeah. I think that's the message that I got. But fortunately, I was also given complete freedom to reach for the stars and to do anything I wanted. So if I had said to them, I want to become a millionaire, they would have said, this is what my dad always said to me, Robin Ann, you can do anything you put your mind to. And that's very, the message. That's the message that I got. So it's very, it's I very cool. I, I got the exact same message. It's, it's a very cool message to have. Even and so you get a lesson about enough and a lesson that hey, you can be whatever you want with your life. So, as you know, this is a podcast about personal finance. We mm-hmm. talk about money and financial success, but we do it. We try to do it within the context of more meaningful lives and community. And I think that there's five really broad areas of personal finance. And I wanted you on the podcast because I think you're really good at one of those areas. You know, the five areas are earning, spending, saving, investing, and giving. And I think you're an incredible, surprise, surprise, you're an incredible earner, right? And I, I wanted you on this podcast to, to talk about that specifically. Mm-hmm. So as I understand it from your book and just from conversations with you, you studied Italian, you worked as a translator, both in Italy and the United States. You got married you became a mom, you got divorced, and then suddenly you're a great salesperson and a sales guru. 
how did you do that? Like that, I think that listeners are like, that's a crazy transition, but how did that happen? Yeah, sometimes, you know, the the path from here to there involves a lot of zigzags, right? And it's not a straight line. And that's definitely how it happened for me. But the thread, the thread through all of that, you know, you did a great recap of just, you know, yes, I was an Italian translator. I lived in Italy. I, li- you know, all these different things. But the common thread is that I just always followed my heart. I always followed my heart. And what that does is it provides me the guidance on what is my next best step and what am I meant to be doing and how can I show up in the world in the best possible way and do something that I love and have a positive impact on the world at the same time. So in my first career as an Italian translator, I was guided by my heart to do that because I love the Italian language and I loved translating and I loved literally translating people's words, but really the words behind the words, what their message was. And then as I continued to follow my heart, I transitioned away from being an Italian translator and into the field of health because I was very passionate about health and nutrition and wellness So again, I was just following my heart, following my interests, and I wanted to help people get healthier and live healthier lives. So for several years, I was a health coach. And through that, lo and behold, I was learning the art of sales because you have to enroll clients in order to serve as a health coach. And so as I learned that, that was really my first introduction into sales. And then from there... I found an opportunity or I heard of an opportunity to serve in outside sales as a sales rep for a highly regarded supplement company in B2B sales, selling to healthcare practitioners. And as I mentioned earlier, sales was never on my radar. It was not something I ever thought I would do, but my heart led me to it because of my passion for health and nutrition and for my passion for connecting to people and helping people. And when I realized that sales is really just about service, if you approach it that way, in B2B sales, you are connecting with a business owner and helping them to add revenue to their bottom line and helping them to get better clinical outcomes for their patients. When I realized that, I could still follow my heart. I could follow my heart in how can I show up and serve this person in the best possible way. And because I wasn't attached to making the sale, but I was committed to serving, that's what enabled me to have the earnings come in. So it's an indirect way, but it's actually the straighter path to making more sales (laughs) and doing great in your sales career. There's a couple of things in there I want to I want to pull on. One of them was this the something you said really early there was, you know, I was going to be a health coach, but in order to be a health coach, I had to be able to sell. And I mm-hmm. think that you know, and I don't know if you got this message growing up. I got this message growing up where Jonathan, whatever you do, you have to sell. Whether you're in a, you know, you're in a nonprofit and you need to get funding, you got to sell that nonprofit to the community that's going to provide your funding. If you are for me as a kid, it was, I had to sell sandwiches door to door to afford being on the soccer team. Like that was, mm-hmm. it, there was an outcome I wanted. And, you know, to get there, I had to learn how to sell stuff. Right. 
Do you think that that's something that's, that's broadly understood? Not at all. Not at all. I think it's quite the opposite. I think that, and I wish that people would embrace embrace it more because we are all in sales. Even as a mom to my daughter, I have to sell her on an idea, right? I mean, we are all in sales, right? We're all in sales all the time. And it's wonderful that you were given that message early on because it's an, an important one. In fact, in my outside sales role, I was working with healthcare practitioners who see themselves as healers, not as business owners. They are healers, but they are also business owners. And in order to deliver the gift of healing, they need to thrive in their business. They need to keep their doors open. So embracing sales, it's not a dirty word. In fact, it's the way you deliver your gifts is to make a sale. So I think if we can really transform the stigma that there is around sales and really embrace it from a place of service, that's how we can hopefully also, yes, embrace it and know that it's a necessary part, not a necessary evil, it's a necessary part of whatever we do, whether you're a financial advisor or selling sandwiches or, you know, enrolling patients into your healthcare practice. Yep. It's, this is a total aside, but I was skiing last weekend and I sat on the chair, you know, the singles line is faster. So I get on the singles line and I get on the chair faster. So I get to ski more, but on the chairlift, I was talking to a massage therapist who was just starting off and she was explaining yeah, I'm going to set my rates at like 60 bucks an hour. You know, everyone else is charging 120. That way I'll be able to build. I'm like, I was like, wait a second. If everyone else is charging 120, why would you charge 60? You're worth way more than that. The market has already set the price. In fact, you could work half as much and make twice as much if you just set the price accordingly. And we're always, we're all so afraid of setting the price where it belongs and of sales. It's amazing to me. Yes, we are afraid. And, you know, I can really understand and identify with that massage therapist and that fear of, you know, being perceived as someone who charges too much or is in it for the money. But think, look at it from the consumer's perspective, too. The the client who's searching for a massage, the massage that's $60, do you think they will perceive that as being as good and as valuable as the other massage that's 120? Not at all. No. So we also have to, you know, realize that people attach value based on a price tag too. Totally. Totally. So in your, in the second section of your book, you actually, we're we're sort of bumping up against this topic right now. So I'm going to, I'm just going to ask a question on it. In the second section of your book, you talk about it. The opening chapter is titled, I had it all wrong. You actually set up the two different kinds of sales. So could you just lay out why we have this notion that sales is such a bad thing? Because I think you do a pretty good job of that in the book. Thank you. Yeah. Look, as a sales coach now, I work with sales professionals. I coach sales reps. And even though they're in the profession of being sales reps, they feel almost guilty for being in sales. So this is, you know, truly when when we we can all feel that way. And so truly there's there's a stigma that even when you're in sales, you feel apologetic and guilty. I'm so sorry that I am in sales. So 
I truly believe that if you're going to approach sales from a place of service, which I think we can all get our, our, we can wrap our mind around that, right? About serving, that you want to show up and serve and help. And it's your product or your service that's actually going to help that person. So if you can approach it from the mindset of, if I don't have the courage to step up to the plate and offer this product or this service that I represent, I'm actually doing a disservice to that prospective client if it's a fit for them, right? If it's a fit for them, I'm doing them a disservice by not letting them know, by not making this offer. When that's your intention, you can know that you won't be perceived as pushy or salesy if you're making your offer in the right way. And part of the offer is in opening up the dialogue. So don't presume that your product or service is the fit. Open up the conversation Ask open-ended questions so that you can have that dialogue and understand what do they really need or want without any attachment to whether or not you're going to make the sale. Once you do that, and once you've determined, yes, this is a good fit for this prospective client, make your offer. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, so, so I want to, it answers a different question and I want to, I want to go back to the beginning of this one. So why do we have the stigma? Why do we think sales is bad? Where, where's that come from? There's a good reason why there's the stigma. Because, you know, for decades, right, we've had this concept that sales is, you know, a sleazy car salesman. Right. Right. That's kind of the, the archetype of the salesperson is sleazy. This is no offense to anyone who is actually in car sales, but this is just kind of the archetypal idea that that we've had for decades is you know that sales is about it's usually a man and usually they're really pushy and usually they will be manipulative in order to make you buy something that you don't want or need and those practices have been in place so you know they're not unfounded that there's this stigma around sales but those tactics and that kind of persona is really being edged out by a couple different things that are happening now as we evolve in our society. One is consumers are, are hip to it, right? So they don't, they don't want to be sold or manipulated. And so they'll, they'll avoid it at all costs. Number two, they're more empowered because of what you can find online. So they're kind of taking the sales rep out of the equation by doing their own research. You can do your own research. You can find, you know, what you need. And you, so you can kind of edge out that pushy, sleazy salesperson. You can get right around them and avoid them. But at the end of the day, there's information overwhelm about everything that's out there. And so if you can show up and be that person who serves, who educates, who helps guide your prospect along that decision-making path, you're providing a great service so that you can transform and, and not, you know, not fit it, not fit into that stereotype or that persona of that sleazy salesman. I think there's two, and you've, you've actually touched on both of these. And I think there's two elements that are really, really important in this analysis. One is you have to believe 
you have to a know everything about the product you're offering and you have to believe in that product. You can't, you know, it's really easy to be sleazy. And I think you've had an experience with this. I think in your book, there's a, there's a, a story about selling something in Italy that you didn't believe in. Yes. And, and I know that you've sold things you believe in. And so there's a difference there mentally. And then the, the second thing is, and you've said this twice now, the idea of not being attached to the outcome. And there's something about believing and not being attached, being of service that enables you to be, let me help you. How do I, you know, how do I help you get what you want? Yeah, that's exactly. Right? Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, and so the first thing about just, be, yes, believe in your product, believe in it and love it and be excited about it. You actually don't have to know every detail of the product. You don't have to know every, you know, I sold supplements. I didn't know every, I didn't have every single ingredient memorized every time. I didn't know about the chemistry of how it was put together. If the client needed to know that, I would go and find out that information. But what I did know is that the products got excellent clinical results. People loved the products, patients were benefiting from them, and I believed in them. And I believed in the company and I knew that they were making really high quality products. That's in your heart, right? That belief and that passion and that excitement about what you can deliver, that has to be there. And if you represent widgets or staplers or you know office cleaning supplies, maybe you're not as excited about that actual product but what you can get excited about is the value that it brings to your clients. You can get passionate about helping about the clients that you serve. Maybe you, you just love your clients. You just love working with them. You love having conversations with them. Whatever that is, get excited about that. Connect to that. Love that. Feel into the love of what you do and what you represent. And that opens up so many doors. You just changed my mind about something. I, I, so I just want to point to it because I had, I've, been, I've told the story. Like I love what I do. I have, obviously I'm in sales too. I always compared it to what would it be like to be a salesperson if I was selling Coca-Cola and I, and, oh. or cigarettes or something that I know isn't good for people. Yeah. And I would be like, I would feel so bad about that. But you just, customers love Coca-Cola. It's like people drink more Coca-Cola than anything else except water, right? It's like, it, it is, it sells, like people love it. And if you can embrace the fact that people love it and you're trying to get it to more places so people can have access to it, maybe that's not a bad thing. And I've, I've always thought it was a bad thing and I would hate to be a Coca-Cola salesman, but you know, no offense to Coke or people that own Coke, but uh, you know, it's just not a very healthy beverage, right? right? Um, right. But that's okay if you're selling it because you're actually serving a need, a desire that exists in the world. That's very true. That's really true. You know, I mean, for me too, I would have a really hard time selling Coca-Cola or cigarettes. You know, I definitely like you have to know that your your product is at least not doing harm. Right. But at the same time, yeah, often it is about serving not even what they need, but what they want. So right. if what they want is Coca-Cola and this is what they are demanding, that and you find yourself, you know, especially for financial considerations, this is a job that you have to take. Yeah. And you can show up with love, not for the Coca-Cola, but for the customer and for making the customer happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's going to be a lot of listeners that will listen to this. Ah, oh, this is all great. You know, sales, sales, sales. Not for me. And we, it's hard to get people over that hump, given that sales is one of those opportunities where you can set your own income. 
you can have a sizable income from sales, whether you are selling healthcare products, B2B, or whether you're selling, you know, phone services or whatever you're selling, right? It is something that people can do and it can be a very good source of income. Do you think anybody can be good at sales and what would help people get over that hump? I do think, let's see, it's taking me a minute to answer because I'm trying, you know, this is a great question. I do think that just about anyone could be in sales. You don't have to be because, you know, there are very few sales training programs out there anyway. It's not really a major that you can major in in college, right? So people come to sales from all sorts of different disciplines and backgrounds. Yes, I think if you show up with the right intention, with an enjoyment of connecting to people, you have to enjoy connecting to people. And, and, and loving, you know, again, loving the product or service that you represent, or at least what it can do for people, then yes, I, I think you can. I've often wanted to talk about sales and I've often sort of pictured myself doing kind of what you're doing and that's sort of training salespeople. It often in my head starts with the idea of just listening to what's important to the other people so that mm-hmm. you can provide something that's of value to those people, right? But I think there's a step before that. And that's, we have to be mindful of the way sales can be done. So we have to remember that you can sell from the heart. You can actually, and then you're, that opens up that ability to listen and that enables us to sort of fulfill the needs of somebody else. Yeah. Ah, it's, a be- it's a beautiful story. And, and, I, and I know that if you struggle with creating income, which is the base, the foundation of your financial life is having an income, a source of something you can save and invest. Sales is a great way to get there. And so if you need support, if a listener needs support in this, you know, Robin's a pretty good coach on this. Uh, and it's definitely something to think about. I have one, one more area. Do you have something to add to that? Yeah, I was going to add that, you know, in the, in general, in the, in sales, it still tends to be male dominated. For sure. And there are some really amazing leaders out there like Lori Richardson, who are, she does a women in sales podcast and other amazing leaders too. And they're doing a lot to help encourage women to more women to get into sales. Because as you said, there is a great potential for a great earning potential and a great way. It's sales is a great way to make money and to, to serve and to kind of realize your own potential. I even see it, see it as a great way for, it's a great vehicle for personal development being in sales. And so with all of that said, yes, I think it's such a, it's a wonderful field to get into. And I really do encourage so many more women to get into sales. Do you see we just took we just went took a turn off of the topic I want to go to. That's fine. Do you see a gender difference in embracing sales? In, just in people that you talk to and sales conferences, those kinds of things? You do. Look, men and women each have unique gifts to bring to the table. And women are particularly gifted with the ability to listen and to be attuned to what other people are feeling. And when you're in sales, being attuned to your prospects feelings and needs and wants is incredibly important. And so this is a wonderful gift that women can bring to the table, along with being more intuitive and having that intuition, being able to act on a moment's notice to really understand what to do next. 
And so this is a gift that women bring. Men ha also have the gift of emotional intelligence and intuition. It just may not be de as developed or, and I'm generalizing here, but it may not be as developed just because they haven't been encouraged to do so, right? I think we all have the potential for these gifts. It's just a question of, of how developed they are. Men have the gift of being more assertive and more confident in kind of jumping into a situation, being a little less fearful. And that is what has enabled many men to succeed and do so well in sales. And there's nothing wrong with being assertive and confident and, you know, being unafraid to make your offer. So I really feel that men and women both bring incredible gifts to the table. And it's not about one versus the other. It's more about let's learn from each other and what we can both bring to the table. That's beautiful. I was going to make a joke about overconfidence bias relative to men, but I, I won't make the joke. <laughs> so, so I know that you have a very successful practice coaching and, and actually still sales practice as well. You have an excellent income and you have a skill set in, in the ability to sell to maintain that income regardless of what happens, right? So how are you translating that into wealth for your family and for your future and for your community? So with wealth comes, you know, the next or with great earnings comes, then you have the decision, what do you do with it? Right. And, you know, how do I invest it? How do I save it? How do I? And so, of course, it's really important to make those smart decisions because you can have lots of it coming in. But if it's leaking right out, then, you know, the net net is you don't have a lot. Right. So, of course, the first step is spending wisely and investing wisely. And, and that's something that I consistently try to do. But also, what do you do with the earnings that come in in terms of not just spending, saving and investing, it goes beyond that. Those earnings can enable you to do something more, more impactful and more meaningful. And so in my case, with the earnings that I made in recent years, I decided to invest some time and money and resources into writing and publishing my book. And that's what I have done. So that's my investment. It's a big investment that I've made because what I've done is I took something, you know, ideas that were in my head and feelings that were in my heart and just my life experiences. And I created something with it. I created a book. And as we all know, no one's going to get rich off of uh, <laughs> revenue, <laughs> revenue uh, directly from book sales, right? I mean, we all know that this, although, you know, it's not impossible, but it will pay dividends and it is paying dividends in terms of the opportunities that it brings so that's a direct financial result of making that investment is the opportunities that it can bring. But even more so, we all have a bucket list with that of experiences that we want to have and enjoy and feel that we're leaving a legacy in our lives and creating something like writing a book or, you know, for someone else, it may be starting a nonprofit or, you know, whatever endeavor or initiative you want to take that will pay incredible dividends, maybe not even financially, but in terms of the legacy that you're leaving and in terms of the richness of your life at the end of your life when you feel like, what did I do? And 
writing a book, you know, even if you self-publish, it actually doesn't take a lot of financial resources, but it's going to require some time. It is going to require some resources, all of that. And so if you are blessed enough to make good money, to be able to carve out some time to do that kind of a thing for yourself, by all means, I really feel that that's one of the highest ROIs that you can get is to create something or do something, whatever it is that you have in your heart that wants to be born. Right. And, and I think with your, you know, with your book specifically, you're, gonna, you're going to enable people that you aren't going to be able to coach if they read the book, it gives them a system and, and you, you'll have an impact. And I think that just to, I haven't quantified the impact, but if you have somebody who is struggling to have an income stream and they read the book and they get over their judgment about sales in general, they can embrace the process and the method of, you know, what is heart powered sales, then they can create an income that will support their family. And that you had that impact. And that's that's a pretty incredible impact when you think about how you can affect a family's finances by helping them understand something better about, you know, sales, which often gets maligned, as we've discussed. So Thank you. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great impact. I think it's important. A couple more quick things and before before we wrap, and and I never prepare anyone for this. So uh what was the last thing you changed your mind about? <laughs> oh, this it's a is zinger. Funny. It's a zinger at the end. <laughs> it's a zinger. I would have to say the last year has been a really interesting year of transition for me. Again, as I kind of alluded to, I gave myself some time and space to write my book and and to start sales coaching. But there was a question in my mind about what comes next? Am I going to fully launch into sales coaching or am I going to join another company and you know, work internally again at another company and in a sales role as an individual contributor, you know, and for a while I was pursuing that track. I felt, okay, you know, my time is done with what I, this experiment, this sabbatical that I've been on. And so I was considering going back to a company and really looking into that. And then I changed my mind about that. <laughs> to answer your question, I changed my mind about that. And I realized, it, no, you know, this, I'm already seeing the impact that my work is having on the, my private clients. I'm already seeing the impact that my book is having on clients. And, you know, as you mentioned, I do, I put the whole system in there. And so for those who can't afford private coaching, the whole system is in there in the book. I didn't want to hold back on anything. And so it's it's all in there. And if you follow it step by step and read it and reread it, hopefully that will give you the tools if you are in a sales role or, you know, have a, your own business as a solopreneur to really uh, be able to create the wealth that you desire while also having a positive impact on others. And so I changed my mind about not continuing with that. And I am continuing with that. And it has been incredibly fulfilling and rewarding to, to see the kind of impact that that can have on others. It's good to hear. That's really good to hear. And I can't leave it with just a single zinger. So I have to ask you one more thing. And this, this is, this gets personal, right? It's, is there anything that people misunderstand or forget about you that you really want to set straight? You really want them to know about you or want them to remember about you? 
what I want them to know is I don't have it all figured out and none of us do. We don't have all the answers. None of us do, but we're all learning. We're all figuring it out. I'm figuring it out as I go. And in fact, I'm learning in order to teach and in order to teach, you have to learn. And so that is, that is what I would like people to know is that, you know, I don't have it all figured out and none of us do, but I am figuring it out as I go forward. And, and truly beyond the mission of helping sales professionals to realize their personal and professional goals my desire and mission is truly to help others shine their light because each of us has a light to shine and sometimes we need permission in order to shine it fully and that's what i'm really here to do beautiful how can people connect with you, get the book, find more out about your coaching? So if they go to my website, which is robintreasure.com, Robin is with an I, so R-O-B-I-N treasure.com, um, you can find out more about my book. You can order my book. You can learn more about my coaching services. And you'll also find a little form if you want to submit a question or, you know, have a complimentary clarity call to discuss your personal goals. All of that can be found at robintreasure.com. Great. Thanks for being on, Robin. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at mindful.money. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash mindful money. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.